everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Lookout Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Schles. Glad that you're joining us today. One of the things that has been top of mind in the cybersecurity world is the idea of supply chain attacks. And in fact, if you look at the 2022 predictions episode we did just a few weeks ago with our CTO of SASE Products, Sundaram Lakshmanan, he speaks about the interconnectivity of cloud and on-prem infrastructure, devices and apps as a huge issue in our work from anywhere world. So I figured that for today, it'd be great to dive into this idea of the supply chain a bit more. I'm very happy to be joined by two of my colleagues from Vodafone, Security Thought Leadership Manager Andy Deacon and Security Specialist Verity Carter-Johnson. Welcome to the show, Andy and Verity. Hey, Hank. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Hank. Great to have you both here. So I'm really excited about this chat because I always enjoy bringing in some external opinions on these things and really getting an idea of what people are thinking about out in the broader market. And Andy, I'll start with you here. If we can just level set a little bit and make sure we're on the same page. The idea of the software supply chain attack was all over the news last year with, with SolarWinds. So can you just tell the audience a little bit about what these attacks are and why they're such a hot issue right now? Yeah, yeah, of course. Cool, Great place to start. So when we're talking about supply chain attacks, really, you've got to, got to divide it into two. So you've got the software attacks, and that's what's been most prevalent in the news recently. Things like SolarWinds and Log4j as well, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But essentially, the aim is to hijack or infiltrate a piece of software that's used en masse. And therefore, that gives you access to all sorts of companies, customers, individuals across the globe. And you can kind of cherry pick and see what you get. So you've not necessarily got a target in mind, but if you hit some piece of software like SolarWinds that's used everywhere, you kind of got, you know, the mother load there. You've got everything you want in one in one hit. Job done. Thanks a lot. The other sort of supply chain attack as well that you've got, which is not spoken about as much these days, but it's still really prevalent, is probably more along the source of physical attack. So that would be where I would want to infiltrate an organization in a supply chain and possibly use that to jump into that larger organization at the top or affect that organization in some way. So it might be that actually, say you're a manufacturer and you make screws for an airplane. I might want to disrupt that airplane, do anything else like that, bring it down along those lines. One of the things I could do is if you're the manufacturer, I could get into your organization, tweak your CAD file, make the screw half a mil smaller. Nobody's going to notice till the plane's in the air, right? Then potentially you're going to see a higher failure rate. Or likewise, for food security and things like that, I may get into your systems, alter the mixes, suddenly put whey powder in or another allergy or something else like that into a product that doesn't have that in. You've then potentially got mass recall, you know, public outcry, all that sort of stuff on your hands from that sort of side. So there's two sorts of supply chain attacks here you've got to consider and understand which one it is that you're defending against or that you might be affected by. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in some cases, it sounds like it might be a little bit of both. I mean, getting getting physical access can obviously be uh, particularly detrimental, but you're talking about something like CAD files and you know, there's still sort of a digital element to that. So could you use the software supply chain to then affect the physical supply chain? You know, is that possible? Exactly. And I think it all starts out with the intent that you've got. So the intent is slightly different from the outset with both of those attacks. Like if you're doing the more physical attack, your intent is you've got this end goal in mind and you want to affect something. Some of the more software supply chains attacks are more about gaining access on mass or gaining access to organizations that are more difficult to get into using other methods. 
and seeing what's there, stealing the data, selling it on, selling access. It might be that I just get in and then I sell the access. I don't do anything other than sell access to another group of bad guys. But it's those sorts of things. It's the intent that makes them slightly different, I think. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned before Log4j, that was obviously in the news late in 21. That's a prime example of a software supply chain attack. Can you dive into that a little bit, kind of into some of the the victims, the chain there, what happened? To be honest with you, I don't think we've started to see the ramifications for that yet, or it's not started to hit home, right? The vulnerability has just been announced. We've seen the first live exploits. We can see that people are scanning, looking for vulnerabilities to get in and see what's there and use it. But essentially, you know, it's a bit of software that's used for logging on the back end of most applications, web service, things like that. So it's prevalent. And a lot of organizations out there might not know that they're using it as well, because it's buried quite deep in the stack. So you've got this thing. And if you construct the right command on the front end, it'll log something in the back end. And the back end will very helpfully then process that log file and execute your command if you've crafted it properly. It won't check anything. It won't ask for permission. It will just go ahead and do exactly what you've told it to do. So download more malware, go to this website, return this information to this address, anything you want. It's got to be crafted in the right way, but you know you can do that. So it's a great example of the supply chain's vulnerabilities and attacks in that it's used everywhere by a lot of people en masse. It's got the highest CVSS rating that you can get of 10. It's really easy to exploit, which means actually loads of people are vulnerable to it. And they probably don't know that they are because they're not aware they're using tools or things like that that actually have it in the back end. For years, we're going to see servers that are plugged in somewhere that somebody's forgot to patch or they don't know exist. And we're going to, we're only just started to see the outcome of kind of all of this log4j. So at the moment, keep your eyes peeled for what falls out, really. Yeah, absolutely. It almost sounds like how Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities are popping up, it seems, over the last couple of years pretty consistently. What I think is most interesting about it is that a lot of these supply chain attacks on the software side are about leveraging and exploiting sort of the implicit trust that, not that we have as humans, but it's actually like the trust that links these systems together. And I think that thinking back to what I mentioned at the start with the interconnectivity of apps and data and platforms and all this stuff, I think that's sort of the prime example, right? Like we we may put the, you know, the integration in place, we may hook up the APIs, whatever it may be, but it's all about send a particularly crafted string of code into a vulnerable server. It's going to automatically process it and then make the call. I think in this case, it then made a call out to what was, I think, either C2 or some sort of malicious source, uh, command and control for that. And then it pulled in something malicious. So again, it's it's automated functionality that people are taking advantage of. It, it is. And that's a, a kind of great way to think about it, really. And, and the sort of interesting thing that separates the Log4j vulnerability out slightly as well is it's actually abuse of a built-in function that's designed to help developers perform commands on the back end so it's not like somebody's found a weakness and in a lot of the other things in other ways they do through malware or through memory overflow to exploit these things and gain access they're just simply taking advantage of functionality that's in there to do a different job and using it in a different way which kind of brings us back into this secure by design mindset And when you're designing these features and you're using them as software developers, think about how they might be used maliciously or nefariously, because what you think is a good thing in the wrong hands is a pretty useful tool. And in terms of security, it sounds like a lot of times it's more about the access, right? So it's understanding what users and devices are doing across the entire infrastructure and also how they're interacting with data. 
I think that one thing a lot of people kind of, I don't know if it's like mix up or just sort of mash together is the idea of all of these types of attacks, whether it's supply chain, ransomware, whatever it may be, all being a quote unquote data breach, right? But in reality, with access kind of being king, a lot of times it's not that fast. Like a data breach is data was removed from the infrastructure. Whereas like, for example, with these attacks, a lot of times it's about creating a backdoor to give someone sort of this unbridled access around that allows them to sort of circumvent the security solutions that are in place. And then, you know, with ransomware, it's just about encryption. You know, sometimes they may pull some data just as to kind of hold as additional captive for the whole thing. But but I just think it's interesting to kind of break it all down there. And also being able to do all of that across both cloud and on-prem is difficult, to your point, about seeing the future of all of this. Yeah, and I think you've raised a good point there on access, really, because it, it isn't necessarily about the data that you steal for a lot of these these bad guys and threat actor groups and things like that access is king and until they you know in a software supply chain sort of attack like this you don't know who you're going to hit necessarily you've got a good idea of who you you might get but you don't know and also once you're in you don't necessarily know what you've got access to how far you can get or what's there so you might go well actually i've got some good access here into this large organization or government body but there's nothing I want to do with it right now. So I can either keep in there, keep the access, wait until the payday comes along or, or you know, uh, something like that. Or I sell it on to another threat actor group and say, hey, guys, I've got this level of access to these. You know, I'll hand you the keys to the kingdom for, you know, some Bitcoin. Um, and that that's kind of goes on in the background. Right. And and you, you kind of touched on the ransomware piece as well. And, and that's interesting because we're starting to see the evolution of ransomware now, right? So you're starting to see the double extortion types of ransomware as it's kind of being coined, whereas actually they will encrypt your data. But to get around the fact that you may have perfect backup systems in place and you know you just go, that's fine, I'll wipe it all and put it back. They're also now doing the extortion element to it. So if you don't pay us, we'll release the data, which will then get you into a minefield of other things potentially legally or from a brand point of view and things like that. So, you know, that it's constant, constant evolution, which makes attacks like this so dangerous that you might be breached and you might not know because you update, job's a good one, right? Not vulnerable anymore. You might already have been breached. The access might already be there. And unless you then go back through and check for these things, look through log files, look through the command, the command is structured in a particular way. So actually you're not trawling through you know, years and years of log, random log files, you're searching for particular things, which narrows it down and makes it easier to do. But uh, if you don't go and do that, actually, you're not going to know necessarily. So it's important to patch and update. It's more important to check, check those log files, see what's gone on. Right, right. Absolutely. So I do want to shift gears here a little bit and bring you into this Verity. But in addition to kind of the access, the breach, the encryption side of things, with all of this, there are also a lot of legal ramifications. So in the United States, the EU, the UK, kind of across the board. So let's keep on the topic log for Jay here. There are legal actions and fines that were talked about in regards to it. Is that correct? What's, what's kind of going on there? Absolutely. It's a really current issue at the moment. The whole thing kind of kicked off in the US when the Federal Trade Commission issued an alert following the Log4j breach. So this alert stated that legal action may be forthcoming for those who don't patch this issue out of their networks. So interestingly, the alert actually made reference to the Equifax breach back in 2017, which like Log4j was another Apache vulnerability where the 
Federal Trade Commission, another trade commission, and all of the 50 US states sued Equifax for failing to take reasonable steps to secure its network. So this kind of increase in legal action and fines for supply chain data breaches means that companies are now not kind of just the victim of a cybercrime, but they can also now be the perpetrator of a crime if they've not patched their vulnerability, which is really interesting. And then kind of moving away from the US towards the EU, supply chain breaches of this type are governed by GDPR, which requires data controllers to kind of implement the appropriate technical and organizational measures to protect the personal data they possess. And there's a maximum fine of 18 million or 4% of annual turnover. So it is quite significant. And then in terms of the UK, obviously post-Brexit, the GDPR requirements have actually been merged into UK law, uh, known as UK GDPR, a year ago, which sets the maximum fine as fairly similar as well, 17.5 million or again, 4% of annual global turnover. What is interesting is going on what the FTC said, this, you know, may seemingly just be the start and we can expect other regulatory bodies around the world to follow a similar stance in terms of supply chain breaches and the years of regulators maybe not having teeth or little power is over and these types of fines are maybe now becoming a fact of corporate life. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing too is that the examples we've used have been massive public companies, been around forever. But what about small businesses? I mean, this can be an issue for them. The software supply chain is used by everybody. You know, maybe looking in the context of Europe and the UK, where do small businesses stand with all of this? Yeah, so we've seen GDPR fines for small businesses rise hugely in recent years. I mean, they mainly have been related to processing customer data, unsolicited emails, the reselling of personal information. And although we haven't seen a direct example of a GDP fine for a supply chain breach in a small business yet, and I think this is, you know, mainly because small businesses are less security savvy and they don't really have the tools in place to realize that they have been breached. And often these small businesses aren't the targets, they're just the stepping stone to the big guys at the top. So you know, hackers don't actually want to alert these businesses. They want to sit undetected for as long as possible so that they can attack the larger links in the supply chain. These attackers aren't technically stealing the small businesses' data purely an added bonus if they do come across something that is a bit interesting. So the malware, you know, can sit largely undetected in these networks, meaning these supply chain attacks on smaller businesses are less likely to be detected and reported. And then, you know, the fines are less likely to go through. But I mean, linking back to the Log4J alert from the FTC, the small companies are not only becoming indirect targets, but also the shift in legal responsibility means that they're now having to pay fines if they don't take reasonable action to patch holes. So these companies have got to be more proactive. And it appears only really a matter of time before these small businesses are held liable And given that fines can be scaled to a percentage of revenue, this can be very expensive for them. Yeah, they may not have the financial fallback that a lot of these other bigger businesses have. So I think it's important just for everyone to understand that this is not an issue just for the big guys. This this affects everybody. Andy Andy nodding in agreement. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was was just going to say, Hank, actually, that it's interesting from the the small perspective as well. And also the, the kind of legal stance that Ferris has just explained as well. In some respects, things like Log4j and things like that are kind of unique in that they are, you know, rated so highly, they're so widespread, they're so easy to exploit. 
I think that is probably driving a lot of the regulators to go, actually, come on, guys, the patch has been out for a while now. You know how important it is to apply this patch. You know what the risk is. The excuses <laughs> of going through that, oh, we need to test this, we need to do that, isn't going to cut it because the risk is too great. I think that's kind of maybe where they're, they're starting to go, look, uh, yeah. come on, guys. Sort of drawing draw, draw the line a bit. Yeah, pull your finger out. You should have patched it by now. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we all know you can do it. We're coming up on time here, guys. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed getting your insights on this. But to wrap it up, maybe each of you have one or two things that organizations, large or small, should, could be doing just to ensure that they aren't caught up in these supply chain attacks, whether it's intentional or not. Yeah, I think for me, Hank, there's two things here is one, understanding where you are in that supply chain. Are you the big fish or are you likely to be the stepping stone, right? I think we can all kind of make that assessment. That will then affect how you defend yourself, what measures you put into place, what you do. The other thing with that as well is, is to think about as you're a growing business, you know, the sales guys are out there or you're out there and you're going, right, I need to win this contract. This contract's going to be amazing. Nobody thinks what risk that is now going to open that organization up to, right? Or are you now suddenly going to be more appealing to the bad guys as a route into somebody bigger? Are you a florist, for instance? Have you won the contract to supply government buildings with flowers? If so, brilliant. You now might be more interesting to an attacker because they could be using you as a way into that organization. Piggybacking on that reception. So it just you've got to have a think about whether things are worth it, whether your security is mature enough. You know, every big deal has consequences. Have a think about it from a risk perspective um, and do the basics. It's the basics that burn all the organizations. It's not the sexy stuff you hear about in the news. It's the basics. Make sure your passwords are unique. Make sure you've used AV and things like that. Make sure you've used tools on mobile devices that keep you protected. It's all that basic stuff, actually, that will that will protect you nine out of ten times. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for that. And Verity, anything to add? That was great, Andy. I think just I was going to say that the National Cyber Security Centre, the NCSC, do provide great advice for small businesses and particularly relating to Log4j vulnerability as well on kind of what you should be asking and how you should be responding to that as well. Always good to take advantage of those types of resources. That's all the time we have today, guys. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks, Hank. It's been great. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Hank. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Absolutely. So for everyone listening, thank you for joining us, taking some time out of your day with us here at Lookout uh, to get the latest scoop on anything cybersecurity related. Uh, you can always check out our blog at lookout.com slash blog. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Lookout. And of course, subscribe to the podcast wherever you decide to listen to them. So that's a wrap for today. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time.